Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music. And just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam. That's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we're discussing the outcomes, um, what outcomes that we do know from Tuesday's election, as well as community care and self-care after the election. A special thank you to our newest sponsor, The Uptake, where I work as executive director, for their support of this show. You can check out The Uptake's work at www.theuptake.org. And just a reminder, again, if you've got feedback on a story or a story tip, please email me. Again, that's RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com. Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon briefed the press early afternoon on November 4th about Election Day. Here's a short clip from that press briefing. What we saw was what, what was consistent with what we heard from our partners in counties and cities all over Minnesota, namely really good traffic management. I don't just mean cars and vehicles, I mean traffic of people, particularly at peak times. Um, Sufficient quantities and quality of PPE and supplies up and down. People were really impressed with the materials that they got and they felt safe and they felt that it was a secure space in the polling place. No shortage of election judges. Sometimes it's the dog that doesn't bark that is particularly noteworthy and that was the case here. Many of you know during the primary season, other states faced really disastrous outcomes when it came to um, polling places because of chronic and last minute understaffing. That accounted for a lot of the lines and we did not have that problem in Minnesota, due in large part to the work of many people up and down the system. Folks from our office, yes, urging on um, our colleagues and partners in in the counties and cities, but really they're the ones who did the lion's share of the work and did a fantastic job filling holes, um, working out contingencies, seeing around corners, so to speak. I know this seems like a minor logistical uh, issue in the sweep of things, but believe me, had we had polling place shortages like they had in other states, we would be talking very differently right now about the election that just happened yesterday. Uh, And also, I just want to say, as I've said all along, very, very few conflicts at polling places, both in the primary and in the general election, truth be told, I thought there would be more. I thought there would be more conflicts or reports of conflicts about everything from masks to political apparel to allegations of voter suppression or intimidation. And we had next to none of those across the state, up and down, 87 counties. And that's a testament to the voters, to election and to the system overall. So that's something we can be proud of as well. I wanna say a heartfelt thank you to all the poll workers and election staff that did a superb job of administering, again, an election in the middle of a pandemic. They really excelled as they always do. 30,000 poll workers or election judges, that's what it takes to run an election in Minnesota. That's a small army. And I am grateful to each and every one of them who not only performed at a high level this year, but did so at some personal risk. Let's not forget the average uh, number at a Minnesota polling place standing alone is about a thousand people. That was diminished this year because a lot of people 
uh, chose to vote in other ways, but that's a lot of people that they're coming in contact with in the, in the course of a day, and yet they stepped up as never before. County and city elections administrators continue to be rock stars. We have a decentralized system in Minnesota. As you know, we don't count a single ballot. We don't handle a single ballot or vote in our office. That all happens at the local level. And I can tell you that not just for weeks, but for many months, county and city elections officials have been planning for this day. The primary was a good dress rehearsal, but it was really uh, this day that they were planning for all along. And it's been very stressful on them, very stressful. Last minute rules changes and court cases and rising COVID cases, um, which uh, could have but did not uh, spook a lot of their usual uh, uh, election judges. They've had to deal with a lot of change, a lot of upheaval this year, and they performed absolutely brilliantly. So I want to thank them as well. They're tremendous partners. I also want to mention the behind the scenes work of our local state and federal intelligence and law enforcement partners who were really vigilant against cyber threats and other threats to our system. Again, the example of a dog that doesn't bark, we would be talking very differently today uh, about the election had those partners and those folks not been as vigilant and, and, and clever and hardworking as they were over the past, not just few months or a year, but I would say four years since 2016. We had real-time communication with dozens of counties and with law enforcement at every level, and there is no evidence at this point, at this point, there is no evidence of any malicious attack or even attempted attack uh, in Minnesota at this point. I say at this point because you may recall in 2016, it wasn't until months after 2016 that we learned of certain intelligence information about some things that had happened on election night. But at this time, we don't have any evidence of that. Okay, so there's a reason that our elections are the envy of the nation, and it's because I think people at every level of the system this year stepped up. Now I want to go on to the results. That's what you're really most interested in, I realize. So let's talk about the numbers and the results. I've said before that to me, for many years, since I was a kid, the uh, election night is like the Super Bowl and the World Series combined. And I think that's the case for many of you too, or you wouldn't be um, covering these issues. It's an exciting, intense uh, time every time. Uh, and to extend the sports metaphor or analogy, um, sometimes you need overtime or you need extra innings. And that's what we're dealing with right now when it comes to processing these results. We're exploring new territory in a complex system. And the purpose of the system this year especially is to give everyone a voice in our democracy. That's why it's designed this way. So the slow process is very much by design. I've said that over and over again, and I'm gonna keep saying that. This slower than usual process is literally by design, by design of the legislature, which for example, gave two extra days after the election for all local elections administrators to account and process results. And by design of the courts, which have allowed the counting of ballots postmarked by election day, but received by November 10th to be counted in the final results. And we intend for that to happen. Um, as you know, the equipment and the personnel and the procedures vary from county to county, and they have the discretion to report the results in different ways. We can't force them, but our office is the conduit for those results. We report them, we aggregate them, but we've known for months and have communicated to the people of Minnesota that dealing with an unprecedented number of absentee and mail-in ballots would take some time, and that's the same today. It's just as we've been saying for weeks and months. So here on midday Wednesday, we are seeing the process make its way forward, and I wanna start with um, concrete numbers. Let's talk about overall turnout, first of all. The first thing to know about overall turnout in Minnesota is you have to know what the denominator is, right? What are you measuring against? What is the number of eligible voters in Minnesota? Those who are eligible, those who in Minnesota who are 18, citizens, 
residents, and not currently serving a felony sentence. Those four. How many people that fit that category are there in Minnesota, whether they're registered or not? How many eligible voters? Obviously, the meter is always running. You have to stop somewhere. But most states, if not all states, really abide by the analysis and peg their counts to the analysis of a particular person at a particular place in this country who commands a lot of respect. His name is Michael McDonald, Professor Michael McDonald of the University of Florida and also of the US Elections Project. He and his team every year do rigorous analysis based on a variety of factors, census data and other data, to come up with what that number is at a certain point in time immediately before the election. And that number we all agree on in Minnesota is 4,118,462. Four one one eight four six two. That's on our website as well. All this information is on the website, but I just wanted to say it for the record here. Four million one one eight four six two. Posted on our website. That's the number of eligible Minnesota voters who fit the categories that I mentioned. Turnout so far, as of just before this call, is three million two hundred and sixteen thousand eight hundred and fourteen. Three two one six eight one four. Which, if you do the math would come out to 78.1%, 78.1%. But keep in mind, that number will grow. We don't know by how much, but it will grow. It will grow because, as you know, there's more to come. So I want to talk about that more to come right now. Uh, and, 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 and that's what's coming next. So the number of outstanding absentee ballots, outstanding absentee ballots, is currently at about 240,000. That has not changed overnight in terms of what we have posted. Now, as you know, for the first time ever, we in our office are reporting on our website the number of outstanding absentee ballots down to the Minnesota House District. That has never, to our knowledge, been done before, and I'm sure you've all figured out how to get there on our website. Um, we will update that number later today. We don't know what time, sometime this afternoon, and on an ongoing basis. But please remember that that number um, needs, has a lot of asterisks and a lot of caveats, that 240,000 number. It will never get to zero, never. That's because it likely includes many people who voted yesterday. It includes, for example, people in mail-only districts who received a ballot by mail, as everyone who's registered does in those districts or in those communities, but had no intention ever of voting and did not, in fact, vote. So for a variety of reasons, that number will never be zero. And the actual number is probably considerably less than 240,000. How much less? Well, we'll know that as the vote totals come in. There's many races in Minnesota that have been called, though. At the, t at the time that this episode was recorded, uh, we're still waiting to know who will control the House and the Senate um, in, in the Minnesota State Legislature. Minnesota did elect Vice President Joe Biden, though the national electoral count remains to be seen. Representative Rena Moran was from District 65, uh, 65A here in Frogtown, was reelected as was Senator Sandy, Papa, uh, Sandy Pappas. Sorry, I can't speak today. Congresswoman Betty McCollum and Senator Tina Smith were also reelected. At this point, we don't yet know um, enough to understand the presidential picture. Uh, we'll keep you updated on this show as things unfold. We'll do the same with the Minnesota State Legislature as we track who will be getting the majority again in the Minnesota House and Senate, which is of particular interest to me, um, especially because we'll be spending a pretty considerable amount of time during the um, next session, beginning in January, on the show every single week talking about the Minnesota State Legislature at some depth. Um, we're going to move on to a discussion around community care and self-care, which I think is just really crucial. 
This concept of self-care is often misconstrued to be seen or used as this total selfishness to the detriment of our relationships and responsibilities. Uh, but self-care and its kind of related cousin community care are still necessary. Individuals who are burnt out are less dependable, especially those of us who are organizers, because people depend on us in different ways. I think it's incredibly important in the days after this insane election year in this crazy, absolute bonkers just year in general, that we move into whatever new chaos we're facing, that we talk about community care, that we talk about self-care. We're going to start with an interview from Dr. Amy Marshall, and then we're going to get uh, hear back from community members about how they're taking care of themselves in this time. Here's that interview with Dr. Marshall now. Hi, Dr. Marshall. Thank you so much for joining us on air again. I know we've had a lot of your attention this week. How are you doing today? I am hanging in there. How about you? Just about. Sort of feel like I got hit by a truck. We were on air pretty late on Tuesday night. Oh, I bet. Mm -hmm. So the election is over-ish. We're still waiting for results. But how are you feeling right now? Um, I am very grateful to me from two weeks ago who decided to take today and tomorrow off of work, honestly, um, taking a couple of days uh, after the election to just be able to uh, rest and try not to check too much, but still, you know, of course, keeping up with, with the new news. Um, I My primary job, clinical psychologist, um, so I see a lot of people for therapy, and I was I kind of went with the rationale that if I can't do my job well, it's better to take the days for mental health instead of trying to be there but then not doing a good job. Mhm, mm makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, again, we're still waiting for results. We're still waiting for at the time that this is being recorded, we're still waiting for results. Um, Wisconsin has just been called for Vice President Biden. Arizona has been called again for Vice President Biden. Uh, looks like North Carolina is going to go to President Trump. We're still waiting. What are, you, what are you doing right now to take care of yourself? Um, well, I am in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and um, the weather is absolutely beautiful today. Um, and South Dakota is 90% parked, so it's Throughout all of 2020, it has been very easy to safely uh, social distance, but also get outside. So I've been soaking up uh, quite a bit of sunlight uh, while the weather continues to cooperate like that, um, trying to spend some time outside. Wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. So aside from spending time outside, which we can do in Minnesota right now where the okay. weather is gorgeous and in the 70s, mm -hmm. what recommendations would you have to people who are trying to figure out how to take care of themselves mm -hmm. um, in this moment? And we were saying this in the pre-interview, but there's also mm -hmm. a collective trauma from 2016 mm -hmm. that many of us are still trying to work through. And mm -hmm. there's also the trauma of this year, COVID, the mm -hmm. uprisings that we're still working through, wanting to push harder for racial justice work and being pushed back from so many people. How do we take care of ourselves right now? Yeah, and the, the hardest part, I think, with still waiting on results is we don't know even when we're going to know. So it's kind of that meta uncertainty that we're uncertain about what's going to happen next, and we don't even know when we're going to find out the next part. And I think one thing um, 
social media is kind of a double-edged sword. There are a lot of people that I am able to keep in touch with because of social media, but at the same time, there's the doom scrolling. And so I think being very mindful when you're on there, is this activity bringing me up or pulling me down? Because yes, it's good to be informed, but you can only be so informed before you're just kind of taking in more and more that's just going to be more and more upsetting. So maybe even having a timer on that um, or say, you know, I'm going to check for this amount of time and then I'm not going to check again for an hour. Um, I put my phone on airplane mode last night so that I wouldn't get any alerts after a certain point when I kind of realized, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to learn anything new tonight. It's just a repeat of the same information over and over. So it's better to, to shut down from it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you have access to resources and tools mm-hmm. that you have as a therapist working with children. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, are any of the, do you have any recommendations for tools, places? I've had um, mm-hmm. a lot of people send me little meditation gifts where it's like breathing mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations for where people can find some of those tools? Sure. So a couple of apps, actually, I am going to open my meditation folder on my phone. Um, There are a couple of apps that I actually use, um, some of them with kids, some with teenagers, but frankly, um, I I will kind of dabble in them myself. Um, There's one called Anti-Stress. It's basically different fidgets and kind of very satisfying sensory things, but they're all on your phone. Um, it's free to download. Like they have a, a virtual fidget spinner. They have some uh, wind chimes that you can play with, um, uh, several different things. And there's a free version and a paid version. Um, but you can access the paid version for a limited amount of time by watching a 30 second ad. So really, the whole I, I never pay for apps. Um, and then there's uh, Calm, which is also a free meditation app that does different kind of guided visualization or mindfulness, or meditation, or deep breathing. Um, And then there's one called Calm Harm. And that one is specifically was designed to help people who were having urges for self-harm or substance use. So if someone is struggling with, there's a lot of stress right now, and a lot of people in recovery are dealing with urges and triggers and temptations. And it's meant to be it gives you options for how you want to, they call it, ride the wave of that urge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that one actually, I believe, has no ads at all, but it's, it's completely free. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I really hope you continue to take care of yourself in the days moving forward. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that we are able to have you on the show talking to our audience about mm-hmm. being healthy and taking care of themselves. Um, I know you have a website. If you want to share that with people, they can check out sure. your work. Sure, it's uh, dramarshall.com, doctor the abbreviation, and then Amy, A-M-Y, and then Marshall is M-A-R-S-C-H-A-L-L. I post on there quite a few resources for therapists, but also just some general kind of um, wellness, self-care, and then um, parenting kind of stuff. Thanks to Dr. Marshall for joining us on air. I conducted several interviews this week. Um, and specifically on Election Day with community leaders and organizers. And I asked each one of them about what they're doing to take care of themselves. I've compiled their responses in this next segment. 
you're going to hear from Anika Robbins, who's the, co um, the founder of Black Votes Matter Minnesota, Brett Grant, who's the Policy and Research Director at Voices for Racial Justice, and for transparency's sake, my organizing partner, Terry Tao, who works with Nexus Community Partners and is one of the co-founders of MIPOC, which we heard from last week, as well as Peng Lua Zong, who we also, um, who's also with MIPOC and is one of their volunteer board members. Here's that segment now. Professional as well. Um, you know, the, the most important thing that I could convey is the importance of listening to your body. You know, so when you feel like you need to rest, do that. You know, I would also say, you know, time management is important. And so not, you know, when you recognize those feelings of anxiety or being overwhelmed, recognize it, honor it with rest, honor it with drinking water, um, eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, I have a yoga practice, a meditation practice, and, you know, I work 12, 15, 17 hours a day, and so I have to make sure that, you know, I have those times for for rest. I have those times to spend with my son and with our family, you know. And then, of course, there's, there's for me, you know, I'm married, you know, I have, I'm a parent, and so just managing my roles and then also carving out space and time for myself, whether that's listening to music, hot baths, um, and among other things. But it's really important to get that water and that rest in and strengthen our immune systems, especially with, um, you know, the coronavirus. Um, so just with that added layer of uncertainty, just being mindful of all of those things and, and showing grace to ourselves is really important. I think we got to move forward in solidarity and in unity. And, you know, I, when I think about our work at Voices for Racial Justice, you know, we say we honor the culture. Our, we envision a world without racism that honors the culture, wisdom, knowledge, healing, and power of black, brown, indigenous, immigrant communities of color and indigenous communities. And we've got to work to do that, you know, and a lot of that work takes us being able to work in solidarity and to be, uh, to be able to develop principles that allow us to work in unity. And that's often hard work because we come with so much struggle of just trying to find our place in a world of white supremacy that continues to tear us down. And so often when we come together, a lot of that trauma that we've experienced is on display. And so we've got to work hard to, regardless of what is happening with white supremacy, how do we support and take care of each other in our community so that we can um, advance and reach the goals that we have for each, each one of our communities? <clears throat> grounded as I can uh, and, and when I say grounded I think my you know my kids is kind of the first place that I go to to just remember um, to remind myself that I need to take care of myself and that there are these little uh, six-year-old you know six kiddos running around just waiting for mom and for us to just show up and be here with each other and so I think you know as simple as that is just to know that I can um, you know st stay grounded my kids can remind me of that and um, yeah, because I, 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 yeah, 
it's kind of uncertain where we're at right now. It's just a little scary to think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be, you know, like, I you know, yeah, I'm probably not, you know, as much social media, so trying not to do the gym scrolling, but call, calling people. I know at, at my workplace, we're actually going to hold some time to have a conversation about the election, right, to speak some debrief. So I really appreciate, again, continued holding space for people, holding each other. Um, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I read, so, you know, and, you know, just some music. I read a really, um, a really simple one is just to make a meal, right? Just make a meal, right? So no more pizza. So maybe you can actually, you know, have something healthier. So something like that really gets your mind off of stuff. And I think it'll be, it'll be really helpful to do those practices. Thanks to each of those individuals, Anika Robbins, Brett Grant, Terry Tao, and Peng Fu Azong for sharing their responses with me. I'm so grateful to have had each one of you on air. We're going to end today with just a few announcements on behalf of our sponsor. Our sponsor, The Uptake, uh, which is a community news organization here in the Twin Cities, is currently in the midst of a two-month fundraiser supported by Newsmatch and the Institute for Nonprofit News. We received an $11,500 matching grant from Newsmatch alongside dozens of other news organizations in the country. And we have from November 1st till December 31st to raise as much of that as we can. Every dollar in that $11,500 match will get matched. And as of today, we have um, a little bit under 11,000 left to match. Every dollar helps. They help us train reporters. They help us fund the creation of this show. They help us pay my part-time salary. They help us pay our, all of our freelance writers a fair wage. They help us keep the lights on, and we're grateful for all of your support. You can give a few dollars at givemn.org, hyperslash organization, hyperslash uptake. That's U-P-T-A-K-E. And we thank you deeply for your support. Once again, you can check out the uptakes work at theuptake.org, T-H-E-U-P-T-A-K-E dot O-R-G. And thank you. The Uptake will also be offering a free community journalism training on November 19th, Give to the Max Day, from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. via Zoom. You can email this show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com to reach me, request details, and to RSVP. Just a reminder um, that you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe and healthy. And I will see you next week, as per usual, on Thursday and online on podcast sites, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you find this show. Take care.